FinTech Hunting is hosted by Michael Hammett, JD, CMT, keynote speaker, author, and founder and president of Next Level Advisors. Join Michael as he seeks out tech visionaries, leading lenders, trailblazing executives, and other financial influencers to bring you actionable insights and lead generation tactics, all centered around industry greatness and success. We would like to thank our 2022 FinTech Hunting sponsors, Incelerate, Equifax, WFG Enterprise Solutions, CoreLogic, BeSmarty, Anomaly Squared, SourcePoint, and Next Level Advisors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. He is an industry thought leader, a leading originator. He is a coach, a mentor. He's a business development expert. And more importantly, he's a great guy who does things the right way in this industry. Please help me welcome Grant Lavaelle. He is the area manager at Caliber Home Loans. Grant Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Michael. And I'm truly humbled and honored to be a guest on your show. And it, it means a lot. And and thank you for the audience willing to take the time to even listen to me. So thank you so much. Oh, well, it is a pleasure to have you. You have a wealth of knowledge and expertise. I always love the conversations that we have. But for our listeners who might not know you, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how did you get into the mortgage industry? Yeah, so interestingly, I started on the bank side, Michael, meaning the retail bank as a true bank manager. And way back then, we were allowed to do our own lending in the branch. I actually had my own approval authority, which was awesome. That was way, way back in the day. And then I transitioned. It started just kind of getting boring for me. Um, and I transitioned to the mortgage space um, when actually our entire team you know, walked out one day and over $600 million in volume went out the door. And uh, so they asked me if I could rebuild it. I took the challenge. It was one of the most uh, complicated things I ever took on in my life. Took uh, I told my wife, I don't even know when I'll be home for dinner next three months. But uh, so that's how I got started. And the career has just excelled from there. It's been just an amazing um, opportunity job that we, that we, that we have. So outstanding and we're going to talk a little bit more about building those businesses and those branches and that volume i know you're a very humble guy but that's not an easy task and you've done an, an amazing job at it you continue to grow organizations so we'll jump into that in a sec we're in 2022 we're excited the, the mortgage industry is continuing to hum along what were some of the key takeaways you had from 2021 yeah, so 2021 for me, um, and I think our team was definitely a little bit easier than 2020 for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously, 2020, everybody was new. The pandemic hit. Everybody was overstaffed. Their transition to working remote, which actually turned out to be an amazing thing. And it was just a different grind. And whereas 2021, as a region, we actually did approximately 30% more volume than 2020. 20, which was a record-breaking year. But what's also interesting, Michael, is our profitability, even though we were increased our volume by more than 30%, our probably year-to-date profitability is probably like one-third of what it was in 2020 due to margin compression. 
Okay. Well, and that hit the market and had a huge impact with margin compression. I think it's one of the things that people are going to continue to battle in 2022, right? Absolutely. There's going to be massive changes in 2022, which for me, I'm super excited about. I'm on the retail space, um, and I think that is, you know, I, I mean, I think technology for 2022 is definitely going to replace the transactional loan officer for sure. Well, let's talk about that because I think that is such an interesting topic and it's something that I'm very passionate about because I think for too long, the mortgage industry has been very transaction focused. Get the Smith file in, get the Smith file out, get the Jones file in, get the Jones file out. And that's why only 15% of individuals go back to that same lender for their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth loan. So Tell me, what do you mean by that phrase? Hey, technology will get rid of the people, the LO that is only focused on the transaction. And what does that mean for the rest of the industry? And where do they need to be focusing their attention? So thank you for that. And, and one thing I have to key on is a comment you just made about the recapture rate. So one of the industry average, you would know better than me, Michael, with all the companies you talked to, is probably what, 25, 30% at best on their servicing portfolio. Yep. Okay. So one thing I'm very proud of our company is our recapture rate is one of the highest in the industry. It's almost like, I will say almost 70%. Wow. And that's due to our technology. It's proprietary. It's not a third party shelf. So that's also going to be very, very important. If you're, you know, the company you're at, I think is how do you recapture that client? So, um, which is a whole nother discussion, but a reference to technology replacing the transactional loan advisor, you know, let's take like some fintech or consumer direct companies. They're usually refi driven, um, transactional based. And one of the things, uh, the reason for our success has been, we've always historically been a purchase driven company, approximately 65% purchase driven. So that will get you through any market swing or change or volatility, if you will, correct? Yep. So I think when I say transaction loans will be replaced by technology, if I'm a loan advisor and I take a call from Michael and Michael tells me, Grant, I want to buy a home and I want to put 20% down and I just take that application and move forward, I failed that client. I, I literally failed. The reason why is perhaps it'd be better for Michael to only put 10% down and use that other 10% perhaps to consolidate debt that he may have and save up $500 or $1,000 a month. That's what I mean by you need to be a true advisor for the client, take the time, um, build that wealth management form. You know, the one thing that for us, the retail guys, my, my team, that we are happy about is fintech companies or let's say a rocket mortgage can't compete against is advice. They may have the rates, but they can't compete against the advice. Well, and Grant, let's talk about that because I think that's so important because technology is, is important and you already talked about how important you've got to leverage technology, you've got to use it, but it doesn't take the place of advice, of building a personal relationship, of understanding the nuances of a location of demographics. So, Talk to me a little bit more of how, as a retail person who's very focused on doing it the right way, really building that relationship, how do you marry technology 
and building that personal relationship with the borrower. Yeah, so it's interesting because a lot of LOs will say, God, technology is going to replace us. And I, I, I totally disagree with that. The technology is super important because it enhances the client's experience. It enhances the ability for the loan advisor to do perhaps double the volume, um, you know, depending on what, what technology they're using and mobile applications and things like that. And the other important thing is it gets the cost down per loan. If the technology is in place, your cost goes down and you can pass that back to the client through better rates. So uh, we spend millions and millions of dollars, Michael, a year on our technology. And because it's proprietary, we have the ability, let's say we come out with an update, usually they're done on the weekends. So we come out with an update on a Friday. If something goes wrong, we can tweak ourselves because it is proprietary. We don't need to email a third-party company. Hey, I need your help. What's the workaround for this event? So that that helps our client experience, if you will. You also talked about being an advisor. You know, mm -hmm. looking out for not just can I get this transaction done, but is it actually the best transaction for the borrower? Talk to me about what are some of the challenges that borrowers face or are going to face in 2022? And how does being an advisor really help overcome some of those challenges? So, it's, I mean, obviously, a couple of things take my mind with that question. Obviously, people are having a very difficult time even acquiring a home. The, the, the values are super high. People are, you know, bidding over asking. I think, again, when it comes back to loan advisor, say someone wants to buy a home for 300000 for discussion's sake, the loan advisor really needs to see what is the max that this person qualifies for. Is it 400000 or five? And are they willing to, to bid more than the purchase price? And do they have the, the reserves or the assets to do so? Or perhaps do they have the ability to get, um, you know, gift funds from a family member if it's truly that compelling? So that that's the advisory part. Uh, and I really another area what's really lacking from advisory is clients always want what they feel they can't get. So if rates are in the threes, they want the twos. If it's going to be in the fours, it's going to be in the threes. And I think there's also a lack of loan advisors and and all loan officers for that matter offering perhaps discount points to get that rate down where you could finance into the loan. Obviously they they underwriter needs to qualify them on that, um, needs to be in the loan to value. But when you can show somebody that after five years, this will break even and I'm saving you $30,000 over tr the next 25 years, you've done that client a service. But most people don't even offer a choice for the client for that yeah. matter. Well, and I think when you advise correctly, you're giving options and helping people make an informed decision. You're not just kind of cramming a product down there and trying to get one in the door and, and another one out the next door. One of the other areas I want to talk to you about, and you had mentioned it right at the beginning of the discussion of how when you started off, you had to rebuild from scratch. And I think one of the things that you have a great gift for is building teams, building and expanding. Talk to me about how important that is in the industry, but what are some of the ways you go about doing that? So I'll just share that I don't have all the answers, Michael, and I have <laughs> failed many, many times. Let me just start off with the audience with that. I, and through those failures is how I've learned and why I am where I am today. And failure is not. And, and the reason why I say that is 
for building teams, there was year, there was two years maybe in a row that I just didn't grow. And I'm thinking, why am I not growing? What is, is it me? Maybe it's me. Like, you can't help but think, why do people not want to lie with me? And I had the time I was talking to a coach and the individual said to me, he goes, Grant, you're like a lone candle in a dark room. No one can see you. Um, and they asked the right questions. What is my vision? What are my values? What is your why? And if you can't articulate it like that. So what I learned is to grow teams, you have to be what we call an attractive leader one and also a servant leader. So I'm a non-producing manager. I'm truly a servant leader. I work for my people. And I think if you want to grow a team, you have to have that mentality. You have to. So when I meet with the, with the recruit, I don't even talk about my company. I talk about what are their values. I'm trying to see if it's a good alignment because usually everyone does what I call um, company prop. They talk about their rates or product. It, that's not what I want to hear. I'm more happy to talk about it, but I really want to talk about what our culture is. Who am I? Who am I as a leader? Do, do my values align with your values? And, and that's, you end up building a relationship. My hope is whenever that time is right for that individual, that I've become what they would say, a trusted leader. And hopefully I get that first call. Oh, Grant, you had so many good nuggets there. I hope people are taking notes. Hope they go back and replay that. A couple that I want to address as we've got a few more minutes. You mentioned coaching and you mentioned culture. Let's let's chunk down some of those. Why is coaching so important? And what is your take on coaching? And do you have a coach? So I've been coaching for, for many times and uh, for a long time, I should say. And I'm a big advocate. Um, I've seen leaders that ask their people to be in coaching when they're not even coaching themselves, which is really, I think, ironic to me. Um, but I'm, an, I'm a firm fan of being in coaching. Here's why. If you look at all the top people, whether it's sports, Michael Jordan, you know, Tiger Woods, I don't anybody, top alone originators, they all have coaches. Why? Because we always seek to improve. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. I need a coach to one, help me improve and two, hold me accountable. I'm also proud to say, Michael, I tend to lean on him. He is also one of my coaches. I hope that's okay. Uh, Perfectly fine, Grant. Um, And he's, you know, a very valuable person to help our success and my success and my team's success. So I think if you want to be successful, you must always question yourself, what can I be doing better? I love that. And and I agree with you. I have coaches and I think, like you said, none of us are perfect. We all have blind spots. And I think one of the biggest blind spots people struggle with is they've had past success. So they almost get into a rut of this is the only way to do something. So I love how you have that openness and that willingness to say, hey, how else could it be done? What could I be doing better? And because you're a lifelong learner, you continue to grow and you continue to accomplish great things. So it's it's great to see that. Let's talk a little bit about culture, because I think that's something that you and I are in great alignment with is if you're going to have a great team, if you're going to grow, if you're going to accomplish great things, you've got to bring other people along. And I think one of the main ways to do that is through developing a great culture. Talk to me 
how you develop a culture, what are important traits to you as you look to grow teams? Yeah, so I think the word culture is a little bit overused. Um, so in other words, when people call, oh, we have a great culture over here, well, what does that mean? And I think it's important for people to ask that specifically, can you you know, describe that a little bit better? I like to say my culture is more about my values um, and my values is what has created my culture. So an example of that, Michael, for me would be, if you were to look up me up, let's say on LinkedIn, I actually have my values listed. One of my you know, favorite ones is, is, is I'm a very humble person and here's why. And I can articulate that super quickly. And that is, you know, when I was 12 years old, my, my mother was a single divorced, you know, mother. Um, I would be in the living room at night and I would have the lights on. She'd come and say, Grant, why is that? You don't need all these lights on. Turn the lights off. I'd be like, what's the big deal? And she'd say, you know, electricity costs money. I'm like, okay. So this went on a couple of times. I kept the lights on and finally, you know, it kind of clicked. And yet I realized that I always had shoes on my feet to go to school. And the electricity wasn't a big deal, but it was the principle. So, you know, now that she's passed away, there, I'm not gonna lie, there's sometimes I'll be in the living room and I'll turn an extra light on just for a little bit. And I'll look at that light and I'll say, it's okay, mom, you know, we can afford it. So I actually had to tell that story to my wife because she started coming in, why, is, why do you have the lights on? So I explained to her that I think it's super important to realize where you came from. And uh, that's why I'm super humble. And That is so true. And, and I think I, I, I love what you talked about because culture can be overused, right? We've got a good culture. You've got a good culture. It's all about our culture. And, and those are just words that really don't mean anything. But when you actually have values, and this is what I, I admire about you a ton is, not only having values and having them written down, but living by them each and every day. When your team sees that you can lead by example, that you're living the principles that you talk about, that's where you have great organizational health. That's where people want to come and follow along and really grow together. And let's be quite frank, neither one of us can accomplish as much as we could by ourselves versus if we have other people along lifting us up, us lifting them up collectively, so much more can be done. Totally agree. And look, you're only as good as the people you have. Um, and I'm just super grateful and blessed to have a team. I, my, I mean, I'm not trying to brag here, but my retention rate of my people is virtually 100%. And there's a reason for that. Um, it's because we respect them. I ask them, you know, what can we do to improve? If you're at 2 million, how do we get you to 3 million? How do we get you to 4 million? And one of the things that Michael's very good at is having systems in place for that. And he, you know, he's asked me certain questions where I need to improve on, you know, how do I find additional leadership within my team? Those are things I need to improve on. But um, yeah, I think the, you know, bottom line is, is it, companies are made of people. And I think it's important to align yourself with the right people that have the same value structure as you, because if you don't align yourself with the same values that they have, it's a matter of if you're going to leave, it's a matter of when. 
Oh, that is so true. And I hope everyone just heard that. It's not a matter of if they're going to leave, it's when, when you don't foster those relationships and build people up and focus on them. Grant, you and I could talk for hours. I, I thoroughly enjoy our conversations. What are some of the things that people should be on the lookout for, you know, as we're into 2022? What, what's kind of on the horizon? What should they, what are borrowers looking for? How can we better serve them? Give me a quick, you know, here's what you think's coming in, you know, for us in 2022. Yeah, so I think you're definitely going to see rates increasing. I think you're going to see refis slowing. I think you're going to see consolidation in the industry. You're already hearing some companies doing layoffs of LOs and support people. I think it's very important if you don't have your relationship with referral partners in place, start today and, and, and really spend time. Go back to little things like a handwritten note. I think it's going to be a race to the bottom with the margin compression. Companies are going to need, just, they're going to need to keep the electricity on. Um, it's going to be a knife fight, I think, with the rates, um, trying to get the volume. People think if I reduce my margins, reduce my rate, hopefully the volume increase. And God willing, if that plan doesn't work, I, I don't know what's going to happen to those companies. But um, that it, it's going to be a challenging year, and I feel that those who adapt first will win. Oh, so, so very true. Grant, I can't thank you enough. You always share great insights. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. Thank you so much, Michael, and thank you, everybody. Have a happy new year. Happy new year, everyone. What does instant mean to you when it comes to income and employment verification? With the demand for loans increasingly being met with a competitive edge, lenders should turn towards automation. A key way lenders can move digital is by leveraging instant income and the employment data from the work number, which helps them keep pace in an era where every day brings new challenges. To learn more, visit theworknumber.com. Are you looking to close more loans in 2021? Experience Accelerate's award-winning customer engagement platform, featuring lead management, CRM, call routing, sales enablement, marketing automation, borrower engagement, and data intelligence through innovative use of multi-channel marketing, text, social media, email, direct mail, phone, ringless voicemail, retargeting, and so much more. Accelerate, helping lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. Schedule your personal demo today at Incelerate.com. Are you struggling to keep up with record origination volumes? From property valuation and appraisal to title insurance and closing services, WFG Enterprise Solutions provides flexible mortgage origination services that address your organization's needs head-on. By taking the time to understand how you run your business, WFG can create solutions that save you time and money on every transaction. That's why WFG consistently earns Net Promoter's world-class ranking for customer satisfaction. Innovative solutions, world-class customer satisfaction. Get to know WFG today at WFGLS.com. FinTech Hunting is brought to you by Next Level Advisors. Next Level Advisors, where businesses come to grow.